think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. I'm back. And I'm here to tell you that somebody stole my pen, but that's not really important. That you have to know why you stand. And I'm not kidding about the pen thing, by the way. That really nice new pen I had in here, I was all excited about, told blue, and <sighs> alas, it has walked off. This is what I get for leaving stuff in the sanctuary. As long as it's being used in a good home, it'll be okay. All right, I'm over it. I have a different new pen. Got a little thingy here to scroll my tablet and unfortunately the little laser pointer and flashlight doesn't work anymore but I will persevere. In all seriousness though we have to actually look at some worldview stuff. This is why we are doing this. Well I say we it's well it's it's we it's me and the other crazy voices in my head and that should be good enough for you because you know what it's good enough for me. <coughs> so as we said last week when we got this little series started we talk all the time when we're doing theology and apologetics with Lou, when we're looking at the Week in Review and talking about worldview issues and world event issues, how we think about this place is so very, very important. It is of the utmost importance that we are actually able to interact with this world on a Christian level. Not just, hey, that's a good idea, or hey, that's a bad idea, but that we actually think through things biblically. In order to do that... Now, we're ready. This is, this is going to be earth-shattering here. In order to do that, we have to actually know the Bible so that we can then apply the Bible. And I know you're just like, oh, that's, that's just so brilliant. This is why I make the big bucks. So with that said, instead of just talking about it and saying this is how you need to do things, let's actually lay the foundation. Let's walk through Scripture and see how we can apply the words of Scripture, the teachings of the Bible— from beginning to end, and, and create a foundation through which we can stand on so that we can think about this place biblically. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's, go back and listen to last week's. It will do you good. If you didn't, or even if you did, and you're like, what did you say last week? Which, I'll, I'll accept that. That's fair, because I'm lucky I remember what I said this morning, much less what I said last week. We looked at Genesis 1 through 3, creation, fall, and what did, what's our foundation here? That God is the creator. He is the one who made everything. He is the one to whom all of creation owes its life and allegiance. Therefore, we are dependent beings. So as we enter into a world, we enter into a world, first off, made by God. Second off, knowing that we must acknowledge and live for him. So, if you have not read ahead, stop right now. Do not listen to another word I say until you have read Genesis chapters 4 and 5. They will be needed. We will peruse through them, but we're not reading every little thing that's in there. And sorry for just bumping my microphone. You're going to want to have a good working knowledge in there. If you do not know what they say or you can't think through them off the top of your head, stop and just go read them. That's why God made that little play button and pause button on these things. So you can stop, do the important stuff, and then come back and listen to me drone on. So, in a universe <coughs> excuse me, built by God, in a universe sustained by God, in a universe in which universe in which everything is dependent upon God, there's a second foundation that is corollary to that that is demonstrated in chapters 4 and 5 of Genesis. And what I love about these chapters, they are demonstrating this worldview idea from opposite sides of the coin. 
This idea is that of preservation. Why does anything have the audacity to continue on? Why can anything be upheld? And the answer is because God is the preserver. And that's the second thing we're going to look at this week. Now, again, why do I say that? Because it is demonstrated throughout Scripture, but it is also demonstrated very, very quickly in Scripture. So you have Genesis 1 from the very beginning, creation. It is declared, what's the word, what's the word, what's the word? You know it. That's right. It was declared good. Everything was good. (sighs) Except our wicked and sinful hearts, apparently. But no, when presented with a choice, humanity, again, as we mentioned, we turned into the Nazis at the end of the Temple of Doom, and we chose poorly, as the Templar Knight said so eloquently. So you see God redeeming his people. You see God covering their sin, and you see God booting them out of the garden. Why? Because they can no longer dwell in paradise, the garden. Picture of eternity, picture of a redeemed earth, picture of heaven, a picture of all of these things. They are no longer capable of standing there. They are no longer capable of standing in the presence of God, so they must be swiftly provided the left foot of fellowship and removed from the garden. Now, In this brave new world in which childbirth will be more difficult, in which sin is ever-present, in which the world is trying to kill you, you're going to eat because of the toil, and that everything you do will be toil, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and yes, that's exactly what you think it means, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now stop. Why are we making such a big deal about a son here? Remember the proto-evangelion of Genesis 3.15. There will come forth from the woman. I will put enmity, this is the curse on the serpent, between you and you, the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. If you're Adam and Eve, what are you waiting for? You are now in this you know, brave new world plus tax. I think we owe somebody royalties if I say that too many times, so I better stop. They are now living in this reality. They now have to deal with it, but there is a hope. There is a promise that just as God covered our sin and did not exact the judgment for our disobedience, that there will be a son born to Eve who will stomp the snot out of the serpent, who will crush him and his offspring. That's key. We're not just crushing the serpent. What are the offspring of the serpent? This is where your John 8 comes in. Lies, murder, deceit, hypocrisy, all of these things. The fruit of evil, the fruit of sin, the offspring of Satan. We are looking for a child who will undo these things. Hence, we have Cain. Go team. Again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flock, of keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Remember, these are children being taught these foundations, being taught how to worship Yahweh, being taught that they are dependent upon him. How do I know that they are learning our first foundation, that they are dependent upon God? It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Why are we making offerings to God? If he's just this great big cosmic meanie who kicked us out of the garden because we had the audacity to eat some fruit, yeah, if that's all he is, why would we offer him anything? And the answer is you wouldn't, much less this stuff we're working really, really hard for. Remember this world. This is a hand-to-mouth world. 
Everything they get, they work for, they sweat for, they bleed for, they suffer for, and then they get to sit back and enjoy it, and they also get to sit back and give some of it to this god who has booted them from the garden. They are dependent beings. They're not doing this because he's some big old sky meanie. They're doing this because they owe an allegiance to him and because their preservation upon the earth depends upon him. If you are dependent, your preservation, the fact that you persevere in this world is only because God is doing it. Now, important line here. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. All right, that's important. It's a multi, that's multifaceted here. So you've got multiple rejections going on. You've got the acceptance of Abel and his offering, and you've got the rejection of Cain and his offering. Now, I think you can argue this both ways, and I will seek to do so. Abel's offering is accepted for two reasons. One, because Abel is bringing it out of a heart of faith— Two, because it's the right sacrifice. See the two different directions? The sacrifice is accepted because of the one offering it and because it is the right sacrifice. There is no forgiveness of sins without the cleansing of blood. There is no continuing in God's gracious provision without a sacrifice for your iniquity and transgression. Likewise, Cain is rejected two ways. Excuse me. Cain is rejected because his heart is not pure. His heart is not offering in faith. This is the dichotomy between Abel in Hebrews 11 and Cain, say, in the book of Jude. And he says, he also mentioned in First and Second Peter. I don't remember. Read Jude. It'll do you good. Talk about the way of Cain, the way of rebellion against God. This is what you'll see with Balaam. This is what you'll see with Cain. So because Cain's heart is not in the right place, he is not coming at this from an avenue of faith, he is rejected. His sacrifice is also rejected, though, because it is the wrong sacrifice. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Are there grain and uh, produce sacrifices in the Levitical law? Yes. Yes, there are. Are these what I think are being offered here? No. No, they are not. These are the sacrifices for their sins. Abel is rightly bringing the right sacrifice. Cain is disobediently bringing the wrong sacrifice. And you'll see the heart of Cain as you continue on. Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Look, of all the reactions to have to God telling you your sacrifice in heart are are not accepted, anger is a very interesting one. See, if Abel's sacrifice had been rejected, but he had offered it in faith, Abel, I do not believe, would have been angry. He would have been disheartened. He would have been upset. He would have mourned. He would have grieved, but he would not have been angry. Cain is angry. Why is Cain angry? Cain is angry because Cain is offering the wrong sacrifice from the wrong heart for the wrong reasons. He has magic voodoo God going on here. He offers a sacrifice. God preserves him. Everybody is happy. Cain says jump, and God says, oh, how high. And so you see this. Cain can't get to God. He is dependent upon him, so he can't do anything about that. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? We all know the answer. God knows the answer. This is a probing question. Cain is hopefully going to get to the bottom of this in his own heart, repent, and return to God. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you. But you must master it. How, pray tell, do I master my sin? 
by trusting in the provision of God and letting him preserve me. So Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel's brother and killed him. Most anticlimactic passage in all of Scripture for something that is such a big deal. Abel, Cain can't get to God, so he gets to the next best thing, that person over there that you love. All right, quick, quick aside here, Christian. Nothing's changed. The pagan, in rebellion against God, knowing that the wrath of God abides upon them, not willing to recognize him as creator, not willing to praise him as the one who preserves them, not willing to be dependent upon him even though they are dependent on him, they cannot get to God. What do they then seek to do? They seek to get to the next best thing. His children. And I don't mean all of humanity, I mean his special children, the ones who have been adopted, who will stand in his presence, blameless with great joy. They want to get at them. Cain here demonstrates it by going after Abel. The pagan world demonstrates it by going after you. Congrats. Isn't this fun? So you know the story. God shows up, curses Cain. I don't mean like like curses him like a sailor would curse you, but I mean actually curses him. He's going to... He's going to be separated from the ground. He's going to be a wanderer. He's going to roam the earth. No, he's not still roaming the earth. Cain lived a good long life apparently and died at a good old age, I'm guessing, based on what comes later. And he's marked so that people won't kill him. By by the way, if you're asking yourself what people, uh, other sons and daughters, other sons and daughters. There you go. See, um, is it in here? Yeah. Uh, the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. There's a lot of people, lots and lots of people coming along. Adam and Eve are going to live for a good long time, have lots and lots of children, and try to begin this creation mandate to have dominion. Now, if you follow this, I've often wondered this, and I'm not going to settle it today because we're not going to be able to settle it today. Cain is supposed to be a wanderer. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You'll be a vagrant and wanderer upon the earth. And what I get a kick out of is Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. In order to settle in a land, you have to have produce. Now, maybe he just figured out a skill and he could trade, and that's why you see the first urbanization under Cain, because he has relations with his wife, so he found somebody that would marry him. He would be able to provide for family. She conceived and gave birth to Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now you get, and then you, you follow through and all sorts of lovely sin that follows from the line of Cain. It's, it's a lovely family line, really. Why does Cain get the blessing of a wife, a family, and a city? And the answer is because God has preserved him. But he's wicked and sinful and evil, yes. And God has preserved him in his wicked, evil sinfulness because it benefits God's kingdom. It is for the glory of God, and it is for the good of the people that are worshiping and working with and in godliness. You get to the bottom now. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring. Remember, this is a key thing. We're waiting for the son. Cain wasn't it. Abel's dead, so maybe Seth is it. In place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth... To him also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And this becomes the other side of the coin here. So Cain's family is preserved because humanity is being preserved. Even in their sin, the grace of God upon his dependent creation is demonstrated, and they are upheld and preserved by him. Where in tarnation does Cain get the audacity to build a city? Because God granted it to him. Where does 
any of this come from? Enoch, Arad, Arad became the father of Mahujael, Mahujael the father of Mahuth, Methushael, Methushael the father of Lamech. I mean, Lamech gets a couple of wives. I mean, where does anybody get the right? Tubal Cain is the forger of implements of bronze and iron. I mean, these people don't have the right to do this, and yet God is preserving them as a blessing upon his creation, as a blessing upon his people. And we're starting to distinguish right now who his people are. There are two lines that are being followed here. Cain, who is the father of kind of all the earth, even though he's not the father of every person who dwells in the earth, his heart or his lack of faithfulness in his heart and his mindset is the father of the mindset. He is the offspring of the serpent, not literally, but figuratively. Conversely, Seth and his family calling upon the name of the Lord. If you follow, you get from Adam to Seth. You get um, Seth to Enosh, Enosh to Kenan, Kenan to Mahael, Mahalalel, Mahalalel to Jared. Don't you love when you go from a Mahalalel to Jared? Jared to Enoch. Enoch gives you Methuselah. Methuselah gives you Lamech. Lamech gives you Noah. Now realize how many generations that is. So let's let's run this down. So you got Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. We're five sons down the line. I'm sorry, five, ten. I was using one hand and I restarted. So we're ten generations down. How many faithful families are we following again? Just out of curiosity, and for those of you that know the rest of the story, how many faithful families are going to make it onto the ark and avoid the judgment? Yeah, exactly. One. Cain's reproducing. The other sons and daughters are reproducing. These ten generations are reproducing. I mean, it's all in here. Um, Kenan lived 840 years and became the father of Mahalalel, or Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters. That's in every single one of these generations. These guys aren't just having one son, and all right, we got the faithful one. Everybody back off. They're having other sons and daughters who are going the way of Cain, who are rejecting the truth, rejecting the righteous provision, declarations of God, trusting in themselves, not understanding the foundation, not understanding that they are dependent beings responsible to God and are upheld only by his grace and mercy. Conversely, though, you have one line within a family, not one entire family generation here, excuse me, but one line within a family that is following rightly, is trusting in God, calling upon the name, keeping these sacrifices like Abel. That's why when you get to the end, you see Lamech lives 182 years and becomes the father of a son. He called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Ten generations down, um, if I'm remembering correctly on my count, over a thousand years of history, and we're still looking back to what? There's a curse upon this world. And I look around at the people around me, and they're my cousins and my great cousins and my second and third cousins twice removed, and, and they are corrupt. They have gone the way of the serpent. They are not the offspring of God. They are the offspring of the serpent. Again, not literally, but figuratively. Excuse me. They have rejected, they have wandered away, and they have forsaken what is the simplest of truths in all creation that God has made? God has made good. Our sin has corrupted. And we rejected him because we have rejected his provision and his sustenation. We don't want to see ourselves as dependent beings, trusting in him for our life, 
for our breath, for the produce of the ground. We look at that. This is what sin does. We look at the ground and we go, I sweat for that. I bled for that. I was sleepless for that. I was worn out for that. Not you, me. I produced this. I built this. I uphold this. You have just abandoned the Christian worldview. You've entered in the idolatry of pride. You have forsaken the simplicity of the beginning of Scripture and have ignored what God is so clearly expressing. And you've done it in such a way as to say, I am creator. I am redeemer. I am sustainer. I am all of these things. I am God and he is not. May it never be. Again, Christian, you want to deal with the worldviews around you. You want to understand why have they forsaken in the way that they have forsaken. It is because they have not seen this truth. They have gone the way of Cain and have wandered into a sinful disobedience that proclaims them as the greatest, that it proclaims them as the highest, it proclaims them as the ones who will be lifted up, that they be like the Most High. Simple and basic, it is a rejection of the Christian worldview in all that we are and all that it is. You want to fix it? Excuse me. Acknowledge that we do not wish to go after the way of Cain. We wish to actually follow in the footsteps of the godly examples and be the people to whom God is proud because it is the people that he has redeemed. We wish to be the people that think rightly upon this world. And that starts with saying, okay, you have made this place. You have laid down the markers and the regulations and the rules upon which it functions. Woe be upon me if I reject them and go after something else. I am dependent upon you in your creation, and I need you each and every day. Hence the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Or as Luke puts it, give us each day our daily bread. Just as he demonstrated this provision in the wilderness when he gave the Israelites manna, just as he demonstrates it each and every day as as the rain falls on the just and the unjust, he demonstrates his goodness and his sovereignty. And if we want to think about this world rightly, we have to think about it through the lens of God ruling and upholding. So, what have we learned here today, children? God upholds his creation meaning he upholds his creation, and he upholds his creations, meaning you, me, and everybody else. God preserves both the evil and the righteous. Again, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And every good gift we receive is from God. I think James has a Bible verse about that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm going to say next, right? Read the book of James. It will do you good. So, Start thinking through these things biblically. Start thinking about the world biblically. Hopefully we can build a foundation and make sense of this. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.